Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Well, hello and welcome to MotorWeek Podcast 123. That's easy as ABC 123. I'm John Davis, and joining me around our table up in our sound studio A today is road test producer Ben Davis. Hello, hello. And assistant producer Greg Carlos. Good to be back. Our writer, Patrick Lucas. Hey, now. Who's also the producer of the podcast. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about. Lightning round, a viewer question, our rant and rave section. But first, let's get to the cars. And the first one we're going to talk about is um, something rather unusual. It's the Callaway Rocky Ridge Special Edition Silverado. I mean, it's a awesome, awesome truck. Okay, who wants to start? This, you know, first of all, when you take Callaway Engineering, and who we have enormous respect for uh, their powertrains and their cars true and then rocky ridge who i have to admit this was my first experience uh with this upfitter uh how did it come together with the silverado was anybody think um at first it's 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 the shock value you you don't really know how to take it at least i didn't Mm -hmm. it was kind of gaudy and um there's a lot of chrome on it Um, a lot of chrome but you get in it and you really start inspecting it it's really well done uh rocky ridge did a great job i think it's it it is a a good looking truck i think after you get used to that that initial impact of it there's a few minor things that i would Mm -hmm. tweak maybe not have that red chevy badge Tone down some of the chrome, but yeah. it's a it's a fun truck to drive. Yeah, the, the, the truck buyers want the chrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah the big truck buyers want the chrome. If you're buying that, and if you're you know you're going all in and you're getting all this performance, I think you want your truck to look different. So I liked I liked all the little details. I was like nervous when I got in. I right. thought there's so much power in this thing, like. It's going to be... But it's easily managed. Oh, the power. Scary, but, I thought but the it was power was very managed. Super easy, yeah. And so I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, I would probably do the same treatment on a work truck trim with the black grill and stuff, but yeah. you know, that's just appearance preference. Uh, I was pretty impressed with the way Callaway integrated the supercharger, and they reprogrammed everything to run efficiently with the trans and the supercharger and the, the added lift kit and stuff. And it was... was it four inches? Lift. Yeah. I believe it was a four-inch lift, mm-hmm. and you have to ask yourself, is this the way I'd want to go, or would I just go to the Ford dealer and buy an F-150 Raptor already, you know, pretty much the same effect? And I, I don't know. This is essentially yeah, maybe that's a Raptor a fa- that's a factory fans. vehicle versus something that's got, uh, it, you know, both uh, Rocky Ridge and Reeves Calloway's uh, names all over. That's True. That's pretty prestigious. But that's also blasphemy in the truck world, I feel like. If you're, you know, a Ford guy hardly ever switches to Chevy. Yeah. A Chevy guy hardly ever switches to Ford. So that's, that's a strong point. That that's a strong happen. point. Until Chevy builds their own Raptor fighter, this is the closest you're going to get, probably. I thought the integration, too, was extremely good. And actually, when you got inside, there wasn't a whole lot that told you you were in something you know that unique which i guess is a good thing for a lot of people since the interior uh of the silverado is pretty good anyway but you know the price for this i've forgotten 85 well, i was just about to ask just what the under, price was just is it worth 90. it, is it worth 80, 80, 80, that is a tremendous you know, amount of money yeah. it's a lot of money but then you take a look at what's rolling off the assembly line and people are buying you know stock trucks loaded up for 70 uh, or over so it's not so far out of whack that you would say you know this is ridiculous so mm. 
Anyway, I think it made a very good impression on us. Yeah, if you got the cash. If you got the cash. <laughs> if you got the cash, you get the flash. All right, uh, next. Um, convertibles. I mean, it was summertime when we did this test and uh, made a lot of sense. But it was also our first exposure to the Mustang convertible, uh, 2015, of course, all-new Mustang. So this was a GT model convertible. Unfortunately, we had an automatic, which I think left a, a little bit desired. But otherwise, does the car make a good convertible conversion? I think that's kind of the, the question because there aren't that many uh, four-place or two-plus-two convertibles out there that are halfway affordable. What do you think? Um, see, I think you're asking the wrong person here because I'm not a big convertible mm -hmm. fan. Um, but I did have it for the weekend, and it, it, it's a nice highway cruiser for sure. And I'm a I'm a fan of the Mustang. Um, it was just there there were certain things about this specific convertible that I didn't like. And we had one the other day that looked ten times better than the one we had, and it came down to I think wheel choice and. Mm -hmm sidewall on the tire ours had a really thick sidewall made for a pretty decent ride but it didn't look very good it didn't look very attractive um and then like once i started picking out things i started noticing other things that i didn't like about the mustang in general like the uh, the switch gear down at the bottom behind yeah. the shifter so you have to kind of reach over switches. to get it yeah but you can't push it down you have to flip it up which is awkward you want to push it down and you can't we noted in our original road test of the uh, coupe as much as we loved the redone interior that was one thing having those uh, toggle switches maybe a little bit higher was something we should do i believe it has the potential to be a, a great convertible but until they can get the seat belt anchors on the body of the vehicle instead of uh, just strapped to the side of the seat as an afterthought well, look they loop through the seat. Your neck yeah yeah until they can do something closer to what BMW is doing with their 2 Series convertible, for me, it's not going to be what it could be. It was funny. as We, we all universally love the uh, coupe, but we had very mixed feelings on the convertible. And I think at one point, it was almost like there was so much light uh, now getting into the interior with the top <laughs> down that – the materials didn't look as great in daylight as they do in the coupe where you have much yeah. less light. And I think that could be just a, uh, a perception thing. Um, I, I don't think it's quite up to European standards. It was a little bit more cowl shake than we see in something like the two series. Uh, nice car. I, I don't, I think our conclusion was that the American pony car formula works best with a hard top. Uh, the I like the, the the glass roof. Yeah, is that that you can still get that yep. on the new ones. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I would much prefer the glass Mercy, roof. Yeah, I will convert. say that the automatic really sucked all the fun out of it because I could understand. You know, there's some rattling, some squeaking, some cow shake, mm -hmm. like you said. But when you're going through, when you're rowing through with the manual transmission, it feels like you should. You want to feel all that. You feel that's like, what a pony car is all right, about. Right, you feel the car, but the automatic is just kind of like, oh, that's annoying. So nice convertible if you want to go cruising with a muscle car. Uh, I mean, but maybe if you really want a, a pony car, you should stick with the hardtop and stick with the manual. Mm. It's going to be interesting to see what Camaro does with the, their new convertible. They don't make a Challenger convertible, right? No, mm. no. That would be awesome. Yeah. I, would that wide <laughs> that a vehicle? Would it probably would be. Incredible. It, it'd actually probably have a real back seat. Okay, let's move on to something that's in none of our price ranges, uh, the 2015 Rolls-Royce Wraith. Um, I went out and actually drove this car out in um, Phoenix and a couple of years ago, and my impression at the time was 
you know, really not my cup of tea. I mean, <laughs> I understand this is supposed to be the Bentley. I mean, the Rolls Royce for uh, people that want to drive themselves around. Yeah, I thought it was in the two-tone color that the ones we drove out there, I thought really ostentatious. This car actually looked, when I first saw it sitting in our parking lot, I liked it a lot more. And I don't know. You know, it is a personal taste vehicle, but what did everybody else think? I, I was telling somebody that I was driving a Rolls Royce, and they, they were like, what, what did it feel like? I was like, well, you know, it's a huge car, and it mm-hmm. feels really heavy. And this is the small car. <laughs> really yeah, wallowy. It's, it's got a ton of power, but it's like a massive <clears> car, <throat> and you definitely feel it. But, I mean, you still can't. You can't knock the uh, the handcrafted no. material quality. Um, it's just it's an amazing interior. It's an amazing place to spend some time inside. This car really does seem like a little over the top, but then that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> Super thick carpets and yeah, and the starlight yeah. uh, headliner uh, where you can get your you can get your birth date stars put up there for a price. And we rarely get a Rolls, so I, just you saw the Bentleys we get and seeing the Audi switch gear and the yeah. Bentleys. It was weird to see BMW switch gear in yeah. the uh, yeah. in the Rolls. Well, yeah, at first I wasn't sure because I'm like you said, I'm so used to driving Bentleys and. When I hear that um, specific dinging when you open the door that's BMW, yeah. I'm like, wait a second, this is a Bentley. That's <laughs> cool. Yeah, they, you mentioned the carpet. It, like Each carpet mat weighs like 10 pounds. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a piece of work. Um, it's aimed uh, – uh, a lot of it was – this car was aimed at the Asian market, which I guess until the recent uh, – Chinese meltdown was probably doing better than it is at the moment. But interesting car, uh, certainly – I think since all of the transformations of both Bentley and Rolls-Royce with the different owners, these cars have come a long way. I mean, they're not – they they don't – they're not antiques with – flashy uh modern trim anymore they're they're real motor cars did you ever get used to the doors opening the opposite way <laughs> just about to ask that no. <laughs> not me i mean it, it, i remember um when we first works when i was first exposed to it i thought okay it's got power assist and all that but i thought it's just weird you know easy to get out of but awkward to, awkward get, into. to get into yeah. Yeah. how do i do this yeah i looked stupid so many times trying to open it and then like <laughs> it opening into me because right. i was opening it from the wrong side yeah but then again, they don't purport to be something for everyone. You should have somebody opening your doors. Yeah, that's, you yeah, yeah. yeah. that's what, that's what the driver door. does. Uh-huh. If this is your personal car, when you get back, you should be there I wasn't to uh, take care of it or your valet. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on now to our lightning round. We have a chance uh, for our panelists to talk about uh, something for two minutes. And, and this we're going to talk about the, the Bentley a Bentley. Uh, we've been catching more and more glimpses of the Bentley uh, Bentayga, uh, the brand's uh, ultra ultra luxo, over-the-top SUV. It has a look that's very classic Bentley in terms of handcrafted details and overall luxury, though they're also teasing it as a real off-roader. So how is it going to confare, especially when at the current time, if you're in the upper price brackets, you tend to be looking at uh, Range Rovers or Porsche Cayennes uh, as uh, the world best. Should should those brands be worried about a Bentley entry or is that a, just going to be another stratosphere? I don't think that – I think maybe Range Rover has maybe – I don't think they might be a little concerned. I don't think they should be worried, but I don't really think the Cayenne is in that really. I don't. I don't think you're going to see a lot of those off road. No, as much I don't as either. you would. Uh, yeah, I think if you're going for pure speed, you go Cayenne. Um, Range Rover, 
maybe like a Range Rover Sport. I think I was reading that the Bentayga is going to be the size of about a, a Q7 and well, a, it's and based a Cayenne. On that. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I would say Range Rover Sport more so than the big Range Rover. I think it's going to be priced way above all of its competition. Yeah. So I, that's a good point too. You know, I don't think it's going to be a competitor. I think it's going to be like, hey, you know, those are fine. <laughs> Luxury, uh, you know, pre super luxury, but now we're super super luxury. Yeah, and good hardware. Yeah, I don't think they should be too worried because I've driven Range Rovers off road and they can do some pretty amazing stuff. Um, so I don't think they have to worry about that. Bentley's gonna probably have to work a little bit to, to figure out that and really get it down. Um, but I think it will be cool seeing something other than Range Rovers now because you see so many of them. You do. They really they really fill the road, and that's I mean if you want. For whatever reason, a luxury off-roader, that's pretty much what you want. Or you want the went. prestige. You want something it's, that not everybody else yeah, has. Yeah, it'll just be cool for people who really want to stand out. I think it'll be in every music video you can imagine. You know, from what I was looking at, uh, very few select shots of like the interior. I think they're trying like a whole new interior design starting with this i might be wrong that but, makes sense but yeah so they're really testing out their new interior uh like layout scheme like maybe new materials which technology. really hasn't changed a lot right. in like over a decade mm-hmm. yeah i mean i hate to say it, but what was the last bentley had in a mulsanne or something like that yeah. yeah that it felt a little i guess well, day, well, even all the continentals i mean they've stayed pretty much true to the course that they've uh, and, over the last well yeah i mean they're, it's handcrafted they're all extremely well done so they don't want to change it like every no. year and have to learn new techniques but yeah i agree it is dated and it's it's time for a change all right all right can't wait to drive it <laughs> all right <laughs> let's talk about a viewer question um this is from joseph my next car is a ways off but when some models catch my fancy i research them I would want one with the uh, IIHS, that's the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety's top safety pick plus rating. At this riding, only three cars, all of them Volvos, get ratings with standard equipment. The rest require extra cost options. Why should safety be an extra cost option? Uh, Well, okay, I can understand how some don't want electronic nanny spoiling the driving fun, but why do most car companies insist on bundling advanced emergency braking and other things with totally unrelated features like moonroofs? Why should I pay for a sunroof and leather seats? Sometimes even be forced to move up several trim levels for added safety. A long story, (laughs) long question, Joseph, but basically what he's saying is, Right now, if you want the absolute tops in safety like uh, radar braking and in some cases things like blind spot monitoring, you have to go up from the basic trim level and maybe get things like leather you know, and heated mm-hmm. and cooled seats and so forth. Okay, I, I think I know why the automakers <laughs> don't do that, but what do you think? It's called money. Yeah, it's, it costs money to build <laughs> those things yeah, and to, to put those in cars. Um, and they want to recoup their investment. I'd say I think they're kind of worth it, honestly. It, I see, after seeing some of these advanced braking systems and even just other safety systems, it's it's kind of worth the money. But. I think he's saying that he wants – He wants He knows it. that they're, they're mm-hmm. worth the money, but stuff like he doesn't – maybe he doesn't need leather seats right. or a sunroof or something like that. And I get that, but – I don't know, that would require totally revamping the way they bundle. They yeah, it's the trickle down theory that cars. car makers have used since the '70s. You basically, when you come out with a new feature, 
you force people to pay for it by, you know, throwing in things like leather seats and so forth and so on. And then some the next year, somebody else will have that feature at a lower level, and then eventually somebody puts it as standard. And then the government takes a look at it and says, hey, that ought to be on everything. I mean, we saw it with airbags. We saw it with anti-lock brakes. We saw it with, um, uh, you know, skid systems. And the government's already said that automatic braking makes so much sense. They would like to see it on virtually everything. So, Joseph, it's kind of the way the system works to recoup the cost of developing these systems to the car companies and to their suppliers. But if you hang in there, probably less than two more years, you're going to get your wish, and virtually all of the uh, radar and camera-based systems yeah. will probably be either standard or just one. I think they're just trying drum. to make as much money now as they can. Absolutely. Before, before they before are told standard, that yeah. it's got to be on everything, and then the car makers go to the component manufacturers and say, what's your cheapest price? <laughs> so, so that's the way it works, Joseph. But you're not ready to get your car yet, so keep on looking. By the time I think you're ready to, yeah. to go out and buy, you'll have your wish. Anybody else want to throw anything to that? Oh, I'm just waiting to rant. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's move on. Rant and rave. Anyone got something in mind? <laughs> Go ahead. Dan's locked and loaded. <laughs> He's uh, ready. Volume knobs. Um, oh, on stereo. Recently, I was on the CTSV, and uh, I've kind of made peace with the Q system a little more now that I've realized that there's a mute button on the steering wheel, mm-hmm. and you don't have to go and do the slide thing anymore to get it to turn down. And I'm cool with that. And I noticed on this Volvo, it's got a... Most everything's on the touchscreen, but it has a, a really nice old big round rotary volume knob. And if only the Q system had that, any kind of volume knob, I would be at peace with myself much more. I, I think every vehicle, despite technology, how advanced it is, it should always have a fail-safe volume knob because... I, I actually go a step further. I think when it comes to audio systems, you need a volume knob and you need a station select knob because yeah. when you are driving, they are the easiest to work, period. Yeah. And if you're in an emergency situation where you need that stereo down quick, you're programmed. Well, I mean, I've been driving for 20-plus years. I'm programmed to look for a volume Chrysler's knob. Chrysler's got a good one where yeah. they got a behind the steering wheel volume here good stuff. and tune up tune down mm-hmm. here and that's that's so easy to work but yeah i think i agree everyone else a little simple manual system something that's yeah. intuitive yeah something that your passenger could reach over and operate if they needed to you know <laughs> and it's interesting we've got this uh we have a lexus is in the parking lot in f sport and in that case they give you a volume knob and a station knob but they're the only two knobs or controls in there that aren't highlighted somehow, and they're black against yeah. the black I guess face, so it wasn't just and you can't see it. Yeah, it wasn't just me, because I was looking for them forever. I'm like, how do I do that? Yeah, you're right. They're really hidden. So if you're going to put them in there, yeah. at least somehow Shout make them. Shout it out. Let people yeah. know, man. I like it. Yeah. Uh, kudos to Audi, who has well, the vi- it has a little volume knob right by their Down center on controller. The center controller. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. I think of all the uh, central control systems, the uh, the Audi system still remains. The only, the yeah, the only problem with that is it's counterintuitive to every up, other one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, scrolling up, scrolling down is backwards. I mean, according to me, I'm sure yeah. other Happy people place, feel differently. Happy place. We Sorry, got you got me random raving. <laughs> well, but the one thing that all of these technology engineers seems to seem to miss is they get caught up in the technology and they forget about the human interface, and then they have to go back and make change after change after change. I mean, we're now back to so many manual controls on you know instrument panels to augment the uh the touch screens and so forth that we've got redundant controls for almost everything in some mm-hmm. of the cars coming in and, and that seems to be silly yeah, yeah. yeah. 
We're never going to be happy. We're never going to be happy. Not to beat it any further, but back to that XC90, it had all those uh, shortcut (laughs) buttons. Uh, And one was a hazard light, and one was tuned left, right. But, I mean, and defrost. Just to have all that touchscreen advanced technology, but to have those shortcut buttons for simple, super Mm -hmm. important things like hazard and defrost, I thought was was great. What was this in? This is the XC90? Yeah. 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 The shortcut button row, hazard light, defrost. Volume. The first thing I do in almost any new car that we get into is I try the voice recognition system and, and you know, just hit the button and tell it to do something like go to a satellite radio channel. I have yet to find one that you don't have to basically go through three or four <laughs> menus, you know, to get Honda's to it. Honda's the worst, man. I've, I, I find myself <sighs> cussing at the Honda. <laughs> you know, and it's like... If, if the systems are going to work, now I understand some of them still need to learn your voice and all that, but you're talking about, hey, I've got to tell it it's navigation, and then I've got to tell it where, you know, a destination, and then I've got to spell it out. And you're thinking the idea of the voice systems is so, it will be so instantaneous that it's not distracting. But mm-hmm. I find those systems pretty much as distracting Sync as three. anything else. Sync 3 is coming out with Ford, yeah. and I got a chance to test it. Um, I was on a Ford event a couple months ago, and they tried to simple, or like simplify it so that you, you can speak in just like kind of generalities. Like, I want to go to 1901 South Charles right. Street, Baltimore. And awesome. it will autofill. It'll understand. So that makes it you. even better than Siri, right. which up to now has probably been the best. Well, that's a non-Microsoft system, I believe. They, they moved away from Microsoft yeah. now. Well, I guess we're all hoping that the voice recognition systems will get better than um, just gotta hang in the, there. they are at the moment. As with all technology, and that brings us to a close for our MotorWeek Podcast 123. We did Rand Thanks to everybody around the table, Ben Davis, Greg Carlos, Patrick Lucas, and I want to thank our um, audio engineer for today, David Wainwright, who's sitting in, uh, podcast creator Bob Mixter, and, of course, our producer, Patrick Lucas. Hey, hey. Man with the bell. Hit it again. There we go. Oh, every right, time. Right, so I miss my cue. I miss my cue. <laughs> Be sure to watch Motor Week every week on your local public television station and also on uh, the Velocity uh, cable channel. Uh, listen to our podcast. It, everything that you want to know about us is at MotorWeek.org. Thanks very much for being a part of Motor Week for so many years. I'm John Davis for all of us. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com rockauto.com and by Die Hard. For additional information on podcasts, videos and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org and watch Motorweek, television's longest running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.